Well, you know, somebody has to be. At least you're number one. That's right. We're number one. <laughs> Yay. Dance, monkey, dance. Welcome to this week's episode of Dance Monkey Dance. I'm Chris. I'm John. How you doing, John? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in Florida. Yeah. I think. <laughs> you can tell out the window. <laughs> well, that's how most but, people are living yeah. right now. Well, you know, I think that's the way to go. <laughs> I, I think we all get like, like, I don't know, giant iron lungs that we can ride around the city in. Pope mobiles. Pope, there you go, Pope Mobiles. <laughs> Pump in fresh air. That's right. You don't touch anybody. Nobody touches you. You got a little drop box for food and stuff. That's right. There you go. It's like it's like a, a prison that, that rolls around. There you go. It's perfect. Get three three square meals a day. That's a good way to look at it. It's just a giant loop that you make in your in your little bubble car, that, that you know. To get your breakfast and then your lunch and then your dinner. And then you go home. So it should be like individual monorails. Yeah, something like that. Like you get you get your own isolated, you know, seat on the monorail and you just do a loop. <laughs> and that's it. That's that it's like Snowpiercer. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's a miniature snowpiercer. It's Snowpiercer. Yep. Except you're not eating babies. Favor Mantega Alejandro, <laughs> or whatever that is. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so speaking of of Disney and monorails and stuff, they announced this week the pricing for the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Yeah, have you start saving up. Uh, so, so in case somebody doesn't know what that is, Disney decided that when they built Galaxy's Edge that they were also going to work on this immersive hotel experience um, that I guess is like its own type of vacation. It's not like you get to go to the parks that you want. It's you are going where they tell you to go. Right. And so people were like, gee, that sounds really fun. And Disney said, well, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to do. Exactly. So for two guests, if you and you want to take you and your significant other to Florida for this, it's going to cost you 4,800 bucks for two nights. For two nights day. For two nights day. Now, all your meals are included. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a couple hundred bucks right there. So that makes it worth it. (laughs) But, you know, it's the same people who who wait on the wait list to get into club 33 uh, i guess I... they pay you know a hundred thousand dollars a year for the the honor of being a card member yeah and then you have to still pay at the restaurant or whatever it is yep for a hundred grand a year you would think that that would shit would be included but it's not 
No, it's not. So the cost for three people, two adults and one child, which would be my situation if I was going to do this, starts at $5,200. Mm-hmm. And then for four... Plus your flight. Plus, plus the flight. And for four, which they, they account as three adults and one child, I guess you can't do two adults and two children. You're going to have to count one of those kids as, as an adult somewhere. So that starts <laughs> at $6,000. Which is cheap, technically cheaper per person per night. Right. But it's still a shitload of money for basically sleeping in the parking lot of Disney Hollywood Studios. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I know there's supposed to be all this immersion shit and like you're going to build lightsabers and there's going to be Star Wars inspired meals. But that was supposed to be for every guest. Right. And then they decided, oh, no, you can build your, your droids, but you can't um, play with them in the park. <laughs> and, oh, we're going to sell all of these Star Wars costumes, you know, Imperial officers and Jedis and all this kind of shit. But you can't wear them if you're an adult. So part of and so part of this. Now, Part part of the the package, I guess, is a trip to Batu, which is Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm assuming while it's got regular park guests in it, or are they gonna like block off yeah. a day for just no, these I, people? I can't see them doing that. There would be lawsuits if they started doing that. Well, it's already difficult to get into that part of the park and you know, ride the two rides they have. But there's the, that $6,000 for four of you guarantees spots on Smuggler's Run and Rise of the Resistance, which means you're now taking spots away from the regular guests. That's right. All guests are the same, except for the ones who have more money. <laughs> and that's what it's come down to. Uh, look, I am a huge Star Wars nerd. I have lived with Star Wars my entire life. If I'm going to go somewhere on a vacation, I kind of want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that's where they're going to fail. <sighs> because years ago, Disney had this idea that we were going to have the Disney Institute and people would come down for their vacation for, you know, an entire week and just stay at the Institute and take cooking classes and animation classes and, you know, learn to better themselves. And, um, yeah, it closed. I mean, I think, see, I think like one animation class where you get to pick the mind of like a, a real animator would be cool for like a day. But then you need to sure. let me do what I'm going to do because I paid a shit ton of money. That's right. I don't know. I, I mean, they they had talked about there would be like, you know, celebrity instructors like uh, the actress Jane Seymour, Dr. Quinn would teach like a dance workshop or they'd have like, you know, Las Vegas magicians come in and give you an intensive, uh, you know, class on that. And it, it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was a cool concept. And if it wasn't located next to the theme parks, right. I think it would have done well. Like if they had found some land up in, you know, upstate New York or something. I mean, I, I really hope 
that Disney has something in place for when these people are taken over to the theme park, that it's something like the Hogwarts Express over at Universal. Oh, they will. Where the windows are basically screens and Mm -hmm. you're not seeing the back of the park. You're actually still in the narrative. Right, right. Well, that's even how you get from the hotel lobby to your room. Is that you you pull up to the building and then you get on a shuttlecraft that takes you to the orbiting spaceship that you're going to be living on for, you, you know, your overnight stay. Okay. I, I just now I whether know. or not all of that happens because <laughs> Disney's notorious for promising stuff, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I feel like especially with Disney owning Star Wars outright, and they're not being a George Lucas to be like you know, like JK Rowling was at universal and step in and be like, no, this is the way it's got to be. Disney is just going to fuck it up. Just like they always do. Uh, it's unfortunate, but I would kind of agree to an extent. And then when this dies, they'll take that hotel and they'll make it some space theme thing that has nothing to do with star Wars. And mm-hmm. it, it'll just be whatever the fuck it's going to be. It'll become one of those low-budget hotels yep. where you got seven kids in a room. Yep. You go outside and, and there'll be there'll be there'll be a fucking Disney bus that pulls up and takes you wherever the fuck you want to go. Mm-hmm. And that be the end of it. Because Disney and Disney will say, "Well, we tried." Well, ultimately, it's still just a hotel in Orlando. Well, yeah. Yep. But there are people who are going to pay for it. There are people who are going to mortgage their houses and sell their kidneys just so they can be part of it. I can't I can't imagine spending that much money for two nights. No. That's crazy. It's ludicrous, and it goes against everything that Walt Disney (laughs) stood for. He specifically wanted a family park where the average family could afford to go there and spend the day and not have to um, worry about, you know, being nickel and dimed every step of the way. And that's exactly what Disney World and Disneyland and everything (laughs) else has become. Well, yeah, because there's you no know, money in it. it it's, sure. You know, there's strategically located souvenir shops at the exit of every rise. And you've got to have this week's special cupcake. and spe- John, you there? Can't hear you anymore. John. Can you hear me now? No, now I can hear you. <laughs> okay. I'm back. You're back. From Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> it was awesome. 
So, so yeah, it's. I, I, I hope it's an incredible experience. I hope at some point it comes down to, you know, three hundred bucks a night, which I still wouldn't pay for. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean. And I've seen I've seen all these videos of like um, my my wife and kid watch like these YouTubers that go over to like Japan and go to the Disney park over there. And they're like, look at this room. It's decorated like. Um, oh, what was it? It was like the Mad Hatter room or something. And it was mm-hmm. a couple of pictures on the wall and like a. a uh, headboard that was shaped in like a queen of hearts thing. And he mm-hmm. goes, yeah, so this will run you about 300 bucks a night. And I was like, what? And that's like one of their pre- like premium themed rooms. And I was like, you're full of shit, man. Like, right. Like, Oh yeah. Like if I'm going to a theme park and I'm going to stay on property somewhere, I'm only going to sleep in the room. I don't really care what it looks like. No, you're not gonna stay stay in your room and gaze at the stars and. No, why would I? No, no, I if, don't know. If I'm paying all that money to be down there, then I'm gonna enjoy the the parks. Mm. Especially at like ticket prices now, when it's over a hundred bucks for like a shortened schedule, because of COVID. Right. Like, we're getting mm-hmm. there at rope drop, and we're leaving when they tell us we gotta leave. That that's and that's how most people are. And most people don't care for this. You, you, uh, you stumble upon things happening as you're walking through the park. <laughs> like, no, I'm in Frontierland. I'm going to Big Thunder and Splash Mountain, and then I'm going to the Haunted Mansion, and then I'm going on Small World, and right. I'm going to plan my day that way. Right. I, I sure as hell don't want to be waiting for the random appearance of of whichever princess my kid is infatuated with at this moment <laughs> yeah it's i don't know it's in a perfect world it's great but this is not a perfect world no and now did you see did you see the sample itineraries for this thing no, I only really saw the price. So there's a three-day itinerary. So on day one, you arrive at the terminal at 1 p.m. Okay. Between 1.15 and 1.30, you launch pod to the Star Cruiser. 1.45 to 2.15 is ship orientation. Orientation. 3 to 3.30, light refreshments. 3.30 to 4, Sabak lessons. 4 to 4.30, muster. Because we know how much kids and parents love the mustard drills on the cruise ships. So let's do a fake one. Uh, captain's reception, 4.30 to 5. Dinner, 5.30 to 7. Um, outer rim regalia, whatever the hell that is, 7.15 to 7.30. There's an unexpected story moment between 7.30 and 8. <laughs> you might... Prove your medal to join an elite smuggling ring or hide a stowaway to help the resistance. Uh, 8 to 8.45 is bridge training and 8.30 to 8.45 is special atrium entertainment. So that's your first day. So from 1 o'clock until 9 p.m., your day is supposedly booked. 
So how do you handle a kid having a meltdown? Right. You know, how do you handle traveling with somebody who can't be on their feet for, you know, nine hours, eight hours? Maybe, and then on day two. Go ahead. Maybe that maybe the reason that they've they've released those itineraries is to dissuade people with small children not to not to engage in this. Well, I would think the price would do that. Well, yeah, but if you're still stupid enough to to book it, you know, they want you to know like like you're you've got shit to do all this time and if somebody goes, "Well, you know, I got a kid that's got to go to bed at 7." Well, maybe you should find somewhere else to go. Yeah. I mean, day 2 is just as packed. It starts at 7 a.m. with breakfast. And that's the day you take the, the transport shuttle to Batu. You're doing Rise of the Resistance at 8.45. There is a story moment between 9.30 and 9.50, okay. followed by Smuggler's Run at 10 o'clock, lunch at Docking Bay 7, and then you take your shuttle back to the Star Cruiser for lightsaber training, droid racing, build a model ship, a Sabak tournament, uh, cocktails, a taste around the galaxy, and then a spectacular finale at 10 p.m. <laughs> and then on day three, you get your ass out of bed at 8.30 in the morning and you're kicked out of the hotel at 9.30. Nice. So it's not even like you can get a late checkout. Right, and it's not even two full you know? days. Oh, Exactly. Yeah, no, it's not two full days at all. It's a day and a half. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how people are going to react to this once they get there. I think they're going to feel very limited. I think you're going to have kids who would rather go do roller coasters, and you have kids who want to go see the characters, and mom wants to go see the stage shows it's like no no we're doing star wars we can only do star wars that's all we can do well and it doesn't even sound like there's any time when you're at batu to go through like the the marketplace uh well you do have lunch you know that's your time you've got lunch from uh 11 15 to 12 15 so that's an hour yeah that you can, you know, eat some yip yip and instead of eating, you go like because it doesn't sound like, you know, from from what I read, they're only supplying two meals per person over your stay. So if you if you opt for souvenir shopping instead of lunch, you're not eating until dinner. Right. And that's when yeah. they tell you to eat, not so much, you know. See, that's where it's going to fall, is when people don't want to follow that schedule. I mean, look at how hard it is for people to, to wear a goddamn mask. Yeah. Imagine how hard it's going to be. So we said, no, 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 I'm sorry. You have Sabic lessons today. You can't go there. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we don't have a gift shop here on the, on the Star Cruiser. It's uh, good luck to him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I will never go there. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, like all of this shit should be accessible to any Star Wars fan. And well, the, the, accessibility at Disney are strangers now. Right. I mean, they're making it so that that you can't be a fan and do all the stuff that is out there. It just doesn't work that way anymore. such a shame it is but i mean that's you know i mean the biggest problem is with the leadership at wdi yeah because they they full-on believe that if you build a really cool attraction people will pay extra for it it's like no people will just not come I mean, I've seen there's a new carnival ship that has a a 30 second roller coaster on the top deck, and it's like a fifteen dollar upcharge. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, I'm paying all this money to be in a room smaller than my room at home, right? And now you're telling me that I got to pay an extra fifteen bucks for each of my kids to go on your little shitty roller coaster. But <laughs> all the kids are going to complain until they get to do it. So parents are going to pay that fifteen bucks to to shut them up. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were smart, they would charge thirty bucks a person for a little wrist thing, and you can go on it as much times as you want. Yep. You know, do something like that. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see what the bookings are and how it plays out. You know, we had a year until it opens. Yeah. So we'll so. still be in the middle of a pandemic when it opens. That'll mm-hmm. be fun. Which means you're spending $6,000 for a two-night stay and getting a reduced experience. Exactly. And you know, there's because it's you're on a star cruiser somewhere, that means the only time you'll be outside in fresh air will be when you're in Batu. Mm-hmm. So, do we think that Disney's really going to do some kind of like super filtration system in the hotel? <laughs> well, they're going to have to just because that's becoming the new standard. I mean, well, yeah, we'll see though. It's not, you know. Well, that yes, we will. <laughs> we shall see. But yeah, it's I mean the the pricing is ridiculous. Yep. So, you know. Oh well. Book now, book often. I'm going to have to start saying that I'm I'm only a fan of Star Wars pre-Disney. I think that's the way it's well, going to have to I, go. There are a lot of people who would agree with that. Although, see, I'm really the torn people, because I really like the Mandalorian. So. Yeah. But the Mandalorian ties back into the original trilogy. So. Well, true. It, it's not like this New Republic bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. So 
So did you see the news that we lost another member of the um, Night Court family? We did. Yeah. Marky Post. Marky Post died. That's who, too bad. Who played Christine Sullivan on Night Court. Um, died after... But she was a, only, what, 70? She was only 70. She, she died after a three-year, ten-month battle with cancer. Ah, uh, see... You know, I bet if you told a cancer patient they'd, they'd heal faster if they had to wheel a mask, wear a mask, they'd do it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's sad, because I'm sure she was looking to be called back for the new, the reboot. Well, I mean, she's, I remember her, like, she was big in the 80s, like with Night Court and a couple other things. Um, but every time that like there was some kind of like night court story on TV and they interviewed her, she was always like really thrilled to talk about it. Uh oh. Right. <laughs> there you go. You good now? <laughs> I'm good now. You're going to make me edit the shit out of this one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> She'll be back. Oh, okay. She'll be back on. Wonderful. Yep. So, so yeah, it's, it's sad. 70 is too young to die. Yeah, definitely. So now there's, who's left? It's Richard Mull, um, Marshall Warfield, Marshall Warfield and John Larroquette, right? I think so. Damn. Did Bull die? No, I, Richard Mull, I think, is still alive. Oh, that's Richard Mull. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> His yeah. name wasn't actually Bull. What? Bull <laughs> Shannon. Uh, he is 78. Okay. So. Although it's funny when you type in. even in the movie, there's something about Mary. Yeah. When you type in Richard Mole into Google, one of the, the things of people also ask, the first one is, is Bull on Night Court dead? <laughs> well, I'm sure that that has to do with a lot of other celebrities as well. Is Abe Vigoda dead? Uh, yeah. Well, now he is. <laughs> is Bismarcky dead? Oh, not yet, but check in next week. Well, eventually. And the first thing that comes up when you search Marky Post on Bing <laughs> is, is nude Marky Post at XXXPicks. <laughs> Where is Marky Post now? Here are facts you need to know. Marky Post nipples. Click on And Marky Post net worth age, height, weight, husband. <laughs> Okay, priorities. <laughs> yes. Well, it's sad. And that wasn't even her real name. It wasn't? Well, I guess it was a nickname, because her name is Marjorie Armstrong Post. Oh, I can see Marky being a nickname for that. Yeah. Oh, well. Rest in peace. Tis sad. That's right. Richard Mall, you're next. 
are we pausing again? Nope. Keep oh, going. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. So I watched, um, there is a new documentary on, um, Amazon prime that's called uh-huh. Val. And it's the story yes. of Val Kilmer want to see that. told through home movies of Val Kilmer. And I watched this last night and um, it's interesting because what you see in the trailer is you hear a voice and you know, it's mm-hmm. not Val's because Val can't really talk anymore, but it's, it right. turns out that it's his son who's oh. narrating it as his father. Like he, like Val has written down everything that he wants his son to say. And so he's okay. reading it as if he is Val Kilmer. And um, it is one of the saddest documentaries I've ever watched. Yeah. It's just heart-wrenching to watch this guy that was on top of the world that's in some of my favorite films of all time go from, like... And it starts out with his childhood. And... um you come to find out things about his life that I, I wasn't aware of and that like he was just getting his shit back together after a divorce and, and being broke from that divorce. He had, he had found this project that he wanted to work on and then he got sick and now he can't talk anymore. Right. And it is, it, it's one of the saddest documentaries I think I've seen in a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you that if you're going to watch this, you need to turn on the subtitles. Because you can't understand them? Because when he, because he talks a lot in this with the tracheotomy. And Ew. there is there is a lot of times when I had to rewind it and turn on the subtitles because I was like, what is he trying to say? And then you, so I just left the subtitles on. I was like, I'll just let it go. Um, but it's, it's truly, I'm glad he did it because apparently it's something that he had been wanting to do for a long time. And Mm -hmm. he's be like, he's being taken care of. And like his family is making sure that he's okay, but they also show him going the cons and, and having to do that in order to make money. Right. Um, and in his condition, like he can't sit there for the full amount of time. At one point they show him being taken around in a wheelchair with a blanket over him. So nobody knows it's him. Ugh. And it's like, oh man, I f- you feel sad for the guy. But then when you hear his story and where he is right now, you're like, he's, he's okay with where he is. And it, yeah. st- it still doesn't help though. You know, this is Batman. This is Mad Mardigan. This right. is Iceman. This is Iceman. Like, it's just so sad to see him this way. But he definitely looks... I don't want to say he looks happy because... He looks like he's in good spirits. There's no way he could be happy. Right. Okay. Right. So, if you're interested in it, you know, watch it. Turn on the subtitles. And I'd really like to... Like, if you do, I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Because, I mean, he one of the things that he did was um, 
he had he had bought a video camera for himself when he went to Juilliard. And so there's all of this footage that he's kept of like the first thing that he did out of Juilliard was he did a play and it's got Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon in it. And there's behind the scenes shots of them asking him about the camera. Oh, you know, there's stuff like that. He has, he has recorded his entire life and then was able to put this all together. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting, but really heartbreaking. I also watched the new Suicide Squad movie this weekend. Did you? Yes. What did you think? Um, I I feel the exact same way that I felt about the first one. I really liked the first half of this movie. Okay. I think it totally falls apart in the second half. Mm. Um it's done it's it's obviously made by I don't want to say a better filmmaker because that's the wrong thing to say. It wasn't messed okay. with like the first movie was. Um, okay. This is a, um, a storyteller that can tell the story that he wanted to tell. But I mean, it's no, it's no secret because it's in the trailers that the main thing that they fight in this is a giant starfish. And okay. yeah. And, that part of the story just doesn't work. So it's also, I was King shark. See, he was really funny and it's Sylvester Stallone okay. playing King shark. And it's not the King shark from flash. It's not yeah. a big muscular shark. That's like kicking ass. It's a kind of overweight wants to eat everybody. Shark who okay. is not very intelligent. And the first time you meet him, he's reading a book, but the book's upside, upside down. And, okay. you know, all he's doing is his is every time they need to talk to him, he's wanting to eat somebody. So it's funny. And I think there's definite. There's definite good parts to this film, but I feel like they might have given um, James Gunn a little too much. Um, like creative control over it. I think, I think he was untethered and I think that came from the idea of he was fired from Marvel. So when DC picked him up, they were just like, you can do whatever you want. Any character is on the table. You can do whatever you want. Go crazy. And then he just did. And now it's a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, he definitely reached for some obscure characters in this thing. Well, and some of them are great. Like, Polka Dot Man is uh-huh. is one of the best parts of this film. There, okay. There's, you know, the Idris Elba is in it as Bloodsport, which is supposed to, like, you can tell that they were just going to have him be Will Smith's character from the first one. And at some point a decision was made to be another character, but it's, it's, you can tell it's supposed to be Deadshot, and it's like, okay, 
whatever happened happened he's still good in it um but it's the the little characters that are popping up where that are like stealing scenes that make it even better hmm but again once you get to a point it all kind of falls apart that's sad i mean harley quinn really deserves a good movie yeah and and i feel like i feel like if they had just made um not the Harley Quinn film that we got, not the birds of prey thing, but if it had mm-hmm. been James Gunn writing just a, a Harley movie, I think that would work because he definitely understands the character. Okay. She's used in this to the best of their ability in a way that is consistent with what you know about Harley Quinn. But at, towards the end, when you're fighting a giant starfish, you know, those character traits aren't needed. They could have just mm. flown in some jet planes and just hit it with a bunch of missiles at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, this this particular movie, being that it lays within the DC universe, talks specifically about events that happen in Justice League. So why didn't Superman show up to fight the the giant starfish? Right. Like like you run into that same thing that the MCU has to deal with with like you have other superpowered people. Like where are they? Why are you sending the criminals to do this? Right? Like so I don't know. Well they're expendable. Well yeah. Absolutely. So but yeah, I mean that does raise a good point. It's like you know you've got people within your universe who could easily take care of this, but you're giving it to the B team, right? And it's like the B team of the B team with some of these characters, right? And it's like, yeah, they were able to to humanize the character named Ratcatcher, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not connected to any of these characters, like. Like, I I feel live action doesn't work the same way as comic books. You can you can root for antiheroes in comic books that you can't root for in live action. Yeah. And I just I think that that they're trying to do that and it just doesn't work. Mm hmm. Are we pausing again? <laughs> all right <laughs> it's all good yeah it's all good exciting times so yeah i mean i, I it's it's, it's a, hard to be a fan and and see something that you're really excited for and it turns out to not meet your expectations well and i do believe that this is a better film it's it's a truly better film than the first one it just it's it can't carry it the way that it should you're not invested the entire time like in an mcu film Mm-hmm. and maybe it's maybe it's superhero burnout i don't know 
Well, could be. I mean, that's what the CW is going through. <laughs> yeah, well. It's like, yeah, let's let's uh, find another comic book character and totally change it into teen angst. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares. And, you know, no, nobody cares at all. <laughs> Not at all. Wow. Well, I watched, finally. Yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, did you? Yeah, you I liked think? it. Yeah, it was a f- it was a fun movie. I think JB Smoove was was underutilized in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I just totally got into it. So that by you know the halfway point where suddenly they defeat Mysterio's, you know, enemies and everything's great, and I'm like. Well, it's weird that they've, you know, we're only halfway through the movie and they've just resolved everything. And then, you know, you find out that he's uh, anti-Stark and yeah, he's got all this, this this group of the people in the office who hated Stark, too. <laughs> yeah. And, and they have like the dude from Christmas Story that was in the first Iron Man film. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apparently, you know, this dude was at um, the MIT, I guess, it, I think it's in Civil War, where, you know, he taught Stark talks about spending all this money on therapy for himself. And then, like, you know, that's what that's what creates Mysterio's hatred for him. And everything's these drones. And you're like, OK, that's 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 interesting. Mm hmm. I absolutely yeah, I mean, loved. I, the, I thought it was fun. I love the the um, when Mysterio is putting Peter through like the nightmare thing, mm-hmm. and he starts seeing like all the stuff, and he's trapped in the snow globes, and Iron Man right. crawls out of the grave, and he's coming towards him. That was probably the best use of Mysterio mm-hmm. I've seen in a in a long time. Yeah, yeah. And then the the end credit scenes, <laughs> like oh, oh my! Where everybody's a scroll. Where everybody's a scroll. I'm like, wait a minute. So so are the scrolls taking over? And then you go back to to see uh, Nick Fury on the spaceship. Yep, he's just chilling. Doesn't have any. Enjoying some downtime on the beach. Yep. <laughs> because I was like, oh, so maybe like you know. Agent Hill didn't come back. Well, and that's what everybody's and, like, trying to figure were just out. Impersonating people. So, is, yeah. Is it what point did he send them to be him and Hill? Right. Like it's got to happen at some point. Is it before? Because this this happens pretty close to the end of Endgame. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter's like really cl- I mean, like right at the end of Endgame. Yeah. So so is it a scroll at Tony's funeral? Like it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I don't know. Right. But I mean, both Ben Mendelsohn and Samuel L. Jackson are coming back for the Disney Plus TV show. So. Right. You know, who knows what they're going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was fun. I I I liked uh, Happy and and Aunt May, and I liked <laughs> Zendaya and 
Peter flirting but not knowing how to flirt and being really awkward about it. And, right. You know, and, and Ned got his first girlfriend. <laughs> it was it was just a fun movie. It was a fun movie. It's like, oh, and now we're going to Prague. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I watched that. Oh, Jesus. And we're back. Nice. Yeah, so the other thing that I started watching uh, the other night is Titans Season 1. Oh, okay. I, I had still not gotten around to watching it, so <laughs> um, I'm through the first four episodes, and okay. it's not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was expecting typical Batman superhero kind of stuff. And the whole supernatural part of it and um, characters you don't really know about yet right. are, uh, you know, just being set up. I mean, it's very interesting. It's, it's also a little weak. I'm noticing, like, some, some bad CGI, and I, I think some of the acting is a little off, but... You know, well, it is what it is. What you have to remember is that this was the show that launched the DC TV service. And mm-hmm. they ran into money trouble a lot with the shows that they were producing. Um, it's the right. whole reason why Swamp Thing never came back. And um, oh. they were trying to do something radical as far as storytelling with Titans. And Mm -hmm. I will tell you that we're going on to season four of Titans, I think, or is it season three? Season three. Is it season Season three? three. Yep. Mm -hmm. Season one is good, but it's not as strong as season two. Um, Okay. There's this buildup that they're doing in the first season to get them to be a team. Um, and then in season two, you actually see the team as opposed to okay. individuals that are working together. Okay. Yeah, it's it. I was full on expecting it to be, you know, Teen Titans and everybody coming together and, you know, meeting each other and going out and kicking ass and you know there's there's the nuns and right uh you know Corey's whole story that's still unraveling and so it's, right. i mean it, it it's it's cool yeah it's definitely a different you know it's it's obviously a more adult version because when robin basically kills the people in the alleyway right. he's his and somebody talks about batman his response is well fuck batman and so it's meant it's designed to be a more adult version. Um, but what they fail to realize is that in the first season, especially they, they went too far out of their way to like not do comic book stuff. Um, towards the okay. end, towards the end, they get back into it. I think they kind of course corrected it at some point and was like, no, this needs to be more, comic bookish because have you met like the atomic mm-hmm. family yet yes the the, the family uh, the atomic family is in the that's trying to find raven yes yeah 
So, yes. so that's straight out of the comic book. So that they were they were pulling stuff, but they were like, we're gonna kind of tell origin stories kind of around everybody else, right? Um, because what you're wanting to see is you're wanting to see Dick Grayson become Nightwing and right. do all this stuff, but like you don't really get to that in the first season. Hmm. Well, I will give you my review once I finish season one. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. I mean, like I said, there's some, some weak CGI in it, you know, backgrounds that aren't mm -hmm. quite fully rendered and yeah. Uh, there's a shot of uh, when Dick steals the Porsche and is driving through the city that, you know, looks like it's made with Matchbox cars. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. the, the first, like, I, I watched the new trailers for the upcoming season and I'm like, wow, they've really upped the budget on this. Because yeah. it, it looks a whole lot better. And I think it's them being on HBO Max and HBO being like, well, we're not going to you know, here's your budget and make this work instead of like, here's your budget. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're going to cut that. So, mm. you know, plan accordingly. Cause you don't have that much money to do these effects anymore. Right. Cause especially when it comes to like beast boy and you're like, mm -hmm. huh? Okay. Yeah. That's pretty You know, when, when you think of like the movie life of pie, Right, 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 right. With, you know, the tiger. And then you've got this really loosely rendered animal. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's... And, and being colorblind, I didn't even realize he was green. <laughs> well, and I think... Until he mentioned it. Some of it, too, is like... Um, <clears throat> I think I think for some of the scenes, they, like, shot a tiger and then comped it in. And it's like you didn't have a whole lot of time for comping because that doesn't look good at all. Right. So right. I, I think it's a mixture of them trying to do stuff. And <clears throat> there's there's a story point with Raven that gets resolved in the beginning of season two. And I think it's because the way that they did it was because they needed more money to finish it out. And so they okay. rewrote it so to be the, the intro of, of season two instead of the, the last one of season one. So okay. like they were they were conscious of that. They were like, what can we do with what we have so that we can make this a better story? So it's it's a little touchy in the first season for sure. Yeah. All right. You know, it's like it's like Let's Star Trek The Next Generation. It's the first season is not its strongest and it does get better. Okay. So did you happen to catch the bad batch this week? I did not. No. Okay. I did not. Streaming doesn't really go well where I am right now. <laughs> they, uh, it's, it's the first part of the season finale. Okay. So, and it's, it's really well done. Like we talked about that one episode that felt like filler. And I, again, I feel like they were trying to, to buy time to get to this. Okay. So hmm. I think you'll enjoy it. Well, good. Cause it's already been renewed for another season. 
Well, I think I think Filoni could go to them and say, hey, I want to do a show where I just fart on camera for 30 minutes. And they're going to say, yeah, sure. <laughs> Can you do it in the Stormtrooper helmet? Absolutely. There you go. See, why are we not TV executives? <laughs> I mean, come on. If you've got a TV show based on Super Slip and Slide. No, that got canceled because of diarrhea. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. But, you know, like they always say, shit flows downstream. <laughs> So, yeah. On to the next contestant. On the prices, right? <laughs> yeah. So, what did you think about, or do you even have an opinion about LeVar Burton not getting Alex Trebek's old job? Um. I didn't think he was the strongest guest host. Okay. But there's definitely there's definitely a fan following there. I, I think it's got a lot to do with the reading rainbow crowd. Well, yeah, that's true. Um that's true. Not the Big Bang crowd? No. I mean no. I'm I'm sure that, that the Star Wars crowd is just as supportive or Star Trek crowd, not Star Wars. Um, the Star Trek crowd is just as supportive as the reading rainbow people. Um, yeah. See, I don't know because I don't know. Alex Trebek was just a game show host, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he appeared as himself. But yeah, yeah. So he didn't have an acting career prior to this, you know, like Wink Martindale. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not sure whether or not that would be a right. I didn't see any of the episodes, so I don't know how he did. Um, okay. But I would have to assume that to fill Alex Trebek's shoes, they're looking for a certain characteristic. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe LeVar didn't, didn't exude that. I don't know. Um, maybe he just wasn't good on camera. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to, to quantify just because. I mean, what like was he was he that anxious to do it? Was he like that gung ho? Uh, well, I mean, it it seemed like that on social media that everybody was talking about it, and and I had thought it had already happened, and it hadn't, and like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, you mean he hasn't been on yet? Okay, but we got Katie Carrick, yay. <laughs> <laughs> And she was fine. The thing I noticed about LeVar is anytime somebody got the answer right, it was like such a surprise to him. <laughs> <laughs> so like either he didn't have the answer in front of him and he was waiting for it to come through his earpiece 
I mean, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he have that shit written down somewhere? You would think. Unless they're afraid that he's going to give away the answer by Morse code and, you know, have somebody <laughs> cheese. Possibility. I mean, I think one of the things about Alex Trebek was that he was just so smooth at it because he had done it for so long. Yeah, because that's all he's done his entire life. Yeah, I mean, and, and he he always rolled it off as like, you know, if you didn't know something, he'd, he'd be like, ooh, well, no, it's this. And he'd be very matter of fact about mm-hmm. it, so... Right. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be tough stepping into somebody else's shoes. You know, Drew Carey uh, with uh, uh, Bob Barker. Yeah. You know. But I think think Drew Carey has the charisma to carry that off, to pull that off. Yeah. Where LeVar Burton's an actor. Like... He did reading Rainbow and and Star Trek and all that kind of stuff, but you know at least Drew is a stand up comedian and has done improv to where he can he can roll with stuff as it happens, and maybe they just right. feel like Lavar isn't that comfortable in that setting. Cause, yeah, because you know if shit happens. You've you're the host. You gotta you gotta roll with that. That's right. That's right. You know, and handling mistakes. Right. You know, having to go back after the break and going, well, we just got word from our judges. Right. That your end was wrong. So that brings (laughs) your total down to zero. (laughs) You suck. Go home. Right. Right. I think they should get Warwick Davis to do um, Jeopardy. (sighs) Uh, Talking about somebody who's dying to do something. You know, when we were talking about Val Kilmer. I yeah. still kick myself for not calling him up when I had Warwick's ha- phone in my hand. <laughs> it's, I, sh- I should have called him. You should have. But I you didn't. And, and I wimped out. Like, we've both worked with Warwick, so we've seen him handle hosting gigs. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very... Uh, casual at it. Yeah, he's very you know, personable. It's... He could pull that off. Mm-hmm. Why? Just because he's he's English, like you know, American audiences wouldn't go for that. Well, yeah. Fucking bastards. Well, we still have Simon on AGT, so. Didn't he just lose his other show though? Oh, I don't know. Did he? I thought he one of those show? got canceled. Oh. I don't remember, but don't um, know. Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's been a several years since I watched Jeopardy. I'm. I guarantee you the last time was when Alex was still on it. Um, right. I haven't watched any since he's died. Um. I don't know. It's. It, maybe it's time to retire Jeopardy. I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I was kind of thinking that too. It's like, why don't you, I mean, it was so iconic with, with Alex. Why would you, well, other than the fact that we're greedy bastards and, 
you know, we want to keep making money. Well, yeah, of course. Because they're all greedy. Nobody wants to give up that, that time right. slot. That's right. So have you been able to see anything else while you've been away? Uh, no, that's kind of been it. Trying to think if I've watched anything else this week. Um, no, I mean, I've been trying to catch up on movies that I, I haven't seen that you know, have been like talked about a lot. So yeah. I watched like the departed. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was okay. I mean, I like that. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know why Martin Scorsese thinks that every movie has got to be two and a half hours. Oh, right. Um, I definitely feel like a lot of that could have been cut out, but you know, I'm not Martin Scorsese. So what do I know? <laughs> right you'd like to think you are uh, well yeah of course any filmmaker wants to think he's Martin Scorsese right although him and I disagree on what is considered cinema so you know whatever. <laughs> right <clears throat> I felt that I, one of the things that I did do this week I went down a rabbit hole of um Quentin Tarantino interviews. Okay. For, for some reason, I kept getting these recommendations on YouTube for all of these Quentin Tarantino interviews. Um, and it was, yeah. it was based around the time, I guess, of um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Django Unchained. And he... He kept bitching about how digital cinematography, if it's if it's not captured on film, is not a movie. Hmm. And I understand he's a savant when it comes to film. Um, I he's he's got a unique voice and vision. And right. while I love his movies, I seriously disagree with the fact that if you shoot something digitally you can't consider that a film. Yeah. And there was a bunch of these, um, like they would show him saying this and then they would cut to, um, Roger Deakins, who's like one of the most famous cinematographers on the planet who shoots exclusively digital. And it was his other side. And he was like, what does it matter what you're shooting on? As long as what you're getting looks good. And it's acted well. That's what makes a film. And then it would cut back to um, Tarantino and Tarantino saying shit like, um, you know, if shooting on digital just means that you're lazy and you don't want to light the scene. And it's like it sends it sends the wrong message to people that are trying to get in the film. Um, 
to become filmmakers um, who only have like their iPhone or can only afford a $3,000 video camera. And I, I've always disagreed with this shit. It's the reason why I don't like, um, what's his name from Saturday night live. Um, Sandberg. Is that his name? Oh yeah. Andy Sandberg, Andy Sandberg and, um, Kevin Smith had, had stepped out at one point and said that, um, what he does is, is special and he's breathing rarefied air. And it's like, you can't say that to people who have a dream because all of these people started out with a dream. And I just think it's irresponsible for people in their positions to, to fucking fight that and be like, Oh no, you it, this is shit if it's not shot on film, but it's like, it's really expensive to shoot on film and you have to get it developed and you have to do all this other shit. And for somebody who's just starting out the, what you see is what you get mentality of digital film film or digital camera is what you need in the beginning so that, you know, you're not making a mistake and wasting time. Well, and, and filmmaking has changed so much since Scorsese started making movies. So, you know, for him to, to make those kind of statements, it's like, okay, grandpa. Yeah. And, and back I to the home. I understand like Tarantino's trying to live in the cinema of his youth because that's all he does now is it's all a throwback to 70s cinema. And if it's not shot on film and projected, he basically said that digital projection was the death of cinema that, I guess he'd rather see shitty scratched up prints rolling through a platter system in a theater than like a crisp, clean image that, you know, is not going to get destroyed. And I, I can't, he, he called it like, like TV, um, TV in a big room or something. And I was just like, that's, you can't compare that. And it's really odd because Tarantino has shot digital before. He actually, right. um, he shot some scenes for Sin City for Robert Rodriguez, who shoots mm-hmm. nothing but digital. And they're supposed to be really good friends. And um, I remember seeing a video after his that shoot where he was thrilled that he could just let the camera run and talk to the actors and get them to try stuff instead of having to stop to change out the film mags and all this other shit. And it's like, right. what happened to that guy? So I, I, I don't understand why people say this shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Some people just need to like, you know, Tarantino, especially like he's, he's like, I've only got one film left in me. Okay. Then make it and maybe not be away. so critical about other people. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's, you know, you get these people who, you know, believe their own hype and think that they have something that's worthwhile to say. And sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. At at some point, it's just like you just kind of like need to let the next generation come in. And he Mm -hmm. was in one of the interviews, he said he made this comment about like, um, hopefully the next generation will demand real cinema. And it's like, yeah, no, we're not. Well, yeah. At, at, at some point, 
if you're a product of 70 cinema, these kids coming up now are the product of today's cinema, which is all shot on digital. Right. And hey, Cannes Film Festival is letting people who shoot their films on iPhones like like exhibit them at the Cannes Film Festival. So why would they ever go to an antiquated system like film? I yeah. just I I don't get it. I don't know. It's I'm on my high horse, but you know whatever. <laughs> I still have a dream, damn it. I still have a dream about making a movie one day. You you still have time? I know. I keep telling myself that. Grandma Moses didn't start painting till she was a senior citizen. <laughs> you got five, ten years left. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> you sound like my kid. <laughs> She's great at like. Daddy. Come running up to my birthday this year. She kept going. You know your birthday's coming up. Yes, I know. You're almost fifty. No, I'm not. Said I'm still a couple of years away from fifty. Well, no, you're you're pretty much there. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, to a little kid, once you hit forty, you're ancient. <laughs> Doesn't matter anymore at that point. Well, I feel like I'm pretty spry for an old guy. So you know, pretty spry for an old guy. Yep. It could be a rap song. Well, that's just uh, you know, it's a play on uh, "Pretty Fly for a White Guy" from. Um, I got, I got that. Okay, I'm just making sure. Weird Al? No, it's not Weird Al. <laughs> it's um, Offspring. But Weird Al did a parody of it too. He he did a parody, but the original was Pretty Fly for a White Guy. You're thinking of White and Nerdy. Mm. They see me rolling. They're hating. That one? No, that's not what I'm thinking. No. No. Because he did that as well. Pretty fly for a. It was pretty fly for a rabbi. Oh, okay. That sounds about right. There you go. What do yes. I know? <laughs> I'm just an old guy. That's right. You are. <laughs> You'll always be older. Okay. I was gonna say you're catching up to me. <laughs> nope. I can't catch up to you. Nope. You're not gonna. Uh, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean. You can. I mean, I can drop dead, and then you'll be on to catch up. <laughs> no, don't say that. Chris, we're all going to die someday. You might. I plan to live <laughs> forever. I'm downloading my subconscious right, into a computer. Do... Yeah, you do that. I am. I'm going to roam the you'll internet. You'll be part of Westworld. I'm going to roam the internet, and I'm going to be the smartest individual in existence just going to be knowledge but you'll no longer you'll no longer be an individual you'll just be a theorem a concept you'll have no corporeal body yeah but i'm going to make sure i'm able to communicate with people okay i got it all planned out don't worry about interesting it. do you okay yep singularity okay. here i come hmm it could be like get out. It could be. You you invite your daughter's boyfriend home for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're sizing him up like, hmm, that could work. Although that'd be a little weird. 
take over your, your, yeah? why? your daughter's boyfriend? Yeah, why? Like, just a random kid. Like, snatch him off the street or something. <laughs> like, uh, Sure, but, you know, what if they're defective, you know? Well, then you just do it again. <laughs> just keep trying. Try and try again, man. You got, just got to keep going. That's what works. You're going to be gray stuff in a big vat of formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on a shelf in some lab where somebody goes, yeah, this guy thought he was going to live forever. I'm gonna. It's going to be like Futurama where it's just my severed head in a jar. Yeah. And people are just uh-huh. going to take me around. Carry you around? Yeah. <laughs> Let's Hold go to me the up. Moon. I can't see. I can't right. see. <sighs> It'll be Someday. great. It'll be great. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for Look, it. Look, if they could freeze Walt Disney 50 years ago, let's think of the shit that they can do today. <laughs> Just think of the stuff they are doing that we have no idea about. That's right. That's crazy. All right. You got anything else for this week? No, No? I'm I'm tapped out. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can always send us an email at info at dancemonkeypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Let us know you're listening. So until next week, this is Chris. This is John. Have a good week. Yep. Yep.